Welcome to I Might Believe in Fairies. I am your host, Aaron Erber. This is a podcast about stories, myths, and the Catholic faith. I might believe in fairies, and I am here with um, hopefully a good friend. Eventually, I don't know. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> um, we just met a couple times, um, and I attended her talk on Aztec blood rituals and their art, um, and how Christian uh, missionaries incorporated and cultivated their artistic techniques into uh, Christian art, which is which was a super cool conversation. So um, I'm gonna let uh, her name is Lydia. I'm gonna let her introduce herself. Hello, I am Lydia Lay. I'm really honored to be on your podcast, Aaron. So thank you so much for inviting me. I am, uh, well, I graduated from Wyoming Catholic College in, in 2012. So uh, it's something I'm very proud of. It was a very, very new college back then and really was my foundation for exploring everything that I learned through the lens of faith. Um, and then I moved up here to work at Chesterton Academy in the Twin Cities. And while I was working there, I got my master's degree at St. Thomas in art history. So art is really my passion, and I love exploring how cultures converge to give new depth to the system of visual language that we have, uh, which is one of the things that really attracted me to talking about the Aztecs and how the significance of the blood uh, grew into um, the really bloody crucifixes that you often see when you go to Mexico. So that was that was a project that I actually worked on at while well, I was at St. Thomas, um, and it developed into the talk that I gave. And it was it was just amazing to see the similarities, but also the huge differences between the Aztec culture and Christianity. Yeah, well, my wife actually. Um we're, we have mutual, a mutual friend, uh, Aaron, um, another Aaron, um, and <laughs> she sent my wife an email. Um, to, it was for me as well, but it was for Rachel too, my wife, and uh, it was this talk called Blood of the King. I forget what the subtitle was, but it was something really like metal sounding, you know, <laughs> like um, something about like blood and I don't know. <laughs> blood, death, and corn or something. Something like that, yeah, and it was all about the, like the the ritual uh, of the, the rituals of the Aztecs and like all that stuff and I'm like okay yeah I want to go to that <laughs> um, and my wife was very kind and she put the kids to bed on her own and then I came to the talk by myself so I didn't have to like you know bring the kids or anything so uh, it, was re- <laughs> it was really really nice so that's kind of how we met and I after the talk I'm like okay I got to get your email or something and we could try to work in a way to have you on the show um, so yeah, that's how we're here. And you're actually here in yeah. person. Um, yes. This is not through Google Meet. So if the audio quality is different or even better than normal, that's probably why. Um, and if it's worse, then that's probably why too. So um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's why we're here. And I wanted to talk to you today about um, Aztec mythology and um, how um, the apparition, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, how that image on the tilma incorporated Aztec imagery and Christian Spanish imagery and into a coherent uh, symbolic whole that both uh, cultures could interpret and understand. Um, and that's kind of the, because I, I have a big, um, 
our, our family has a big devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter is born, uh, she's born on December 12th. Um, so that's the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I just, it's the one apparition that, as, as, that I know of, of, of Mary. Um, so an apparition for non-Catholic listener, listeners of, of Mary is when Mary, uh, the Virgin Mother, appears to different people throughout history giving warnings or you know, um, telling people to pray the rosary, that sort of thing. And they have to be approved by the church before any official veneration can, can happen. Uh, otherwise, I mean, you get all sorts of weird things, you know, um, like whenever Mary appears in a piece of like, tor- like a tortilla or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's not, um, it needs to be approved. <laughs> so basically it needs to be shown that nothing in the message or in the imagery is against the Christian faith, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the very basic um, rundown of what an apparition is. So what I liked about Our Lady of Guadalupe is because it's one of those apparitions that actually doesn't have a doom and gloom sort of like, if you don't start praying the rosary, there's going to be a giant massacre. <laughs> like Everyone will die. Um, and you know what? When people don't listen to Mary, that's what ends up happening. So this is not one of those. <laughs> but we can get we can get to uh, what Our Lady's message was. Um, mm-hmm. So why don't we... Let's see what the first question is. Um, so, yeah, that's how kind of how we met. Mm-hmm. Um, and... If you could provide like a, just a brief description of what we will kind of talk about elements of the lecture you gave, but um, what what was your lecture about, uh, just generally? So generally, my lecture my lecture my lecture <laughs> was was exploring the traditions of blood imagery in Aztec art because, like I said, I'm an art historian primarily, um, and then trying to see how that was drawn into the tradition of Mexican crucifixes and then used as Uh, a tool of evangelization by the early missionaries there and then how that became um became a part of mexican visual images going forward because mexico never really lost the sense of the importance of blood which i think is really interesting Uh, blood has been important to a number of different cultures around the world but oftentimes after they become you know quote unquote more civilized uh they lose a lot of that sense of self-immolation, self-sacrifice, the importance of blood. But that didn't happen in Mexico. And you see that in, I mean, if I, for people who've gone down there or who have seen these Mexican crucifixes, they're just horrifically bloody. It's, it's scary. And it was terrifying to me um, when I went down there when I was 14, going from our nice, you know, pretty, smiling, crucified Jesuses, uh, to seeing these, you know, grotesque, mutilated corpuses on the crucifixes, so that was that was what inspired my research into it. Then in college, um, and I just I wanted to understand more why this was so important and why it had such an impact on me as a Catholic, um, as a Catholic who come from came from the very clean northern North American tradition of crucifixes. Yeah, well. I- and you you talked about how in Aztec uh, they have this like um, um, oh what am I trying to think of the word um, like not pictograms but they have like codices or really, something yeah the codices and the glyphs the, the glyphs, writing the writing yeah. system isn't alphabetic mm-hmm. like what we have and a lot of right. uh, European cultures have but they use glyphs or pictures and they're right. quite complex yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of their um, imagery like when they're sacrificing. Um, someone or who, you know, mm-hmm. um, the corn king, we can get to that in a second too. <laughs> um, 
they'll they'll use um, the, they'll incorporate the instruments of torture and, ex- and yes. uh, in, in that imagery, and then that's one of those things that kind of was transferred over to mm-hmm. um, the crosses. Uh, especially they're called atrial crosses um, yeah. where you, you put them in the atrium of a monastery um, and they're really intricate and ornate um, and they have the instruments of Christ torture and crucifixion mm-hmm. on there like the nails and the, you know all, all the yeah, stuff that yeah. was used that that was really striking um, how that kind of was transferred from one culture to the next and this mm-hmm. like transformation that still retained a lot of the gore you know <laughs> <That was> like, <laughs> it really did <laughs> yeah like they still maintain that like that must have been really important to them mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah yeah um, so really cool, really cool talk. Um, Thank you. Yeah, really, really interesting. So um, the Aztec civilization, mm-hmm. uh, who were they and like when were when was their civilization at its at its peak? Yeah. Well, before I, I say anything, I should probably, you know, just disclaim that I'm not an expert. A lot of my research is Google Google searching and, and I'm not reading. An either. <laughs> I'm just yeah. uh, this is not one of those podcasts where everything has to be 100 percent correct. So yeah, we try, yeah. We, try, we try, you know, but <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I try. But um, it's it was it's interesting to research, but I'm definitely not not an expert. Uh, but I do know the the origins of the Aztec people themselves, and even that name is kind of controversial. Mm. A lot of historians today don't want to call them Aztecs, they want to call them the Mexica. Mm. Um, But they they moved into that area in uh, southern Mexico that they are associated with, and they slowly took over and displaced some of the original cultures that was that were there including the Tol, Toltec people okay. um, and the Toltec were really a very high civilization um, and they had incredible art very very detailed and um, not realistic but very deliberate and they inherited that and they inherited a lot of their their different mythology systems as well from from not only the Toltecs but the other cultures living in that civilization. So when people go back and they read the Aztec myths, it's actually a conglomeration. Mm-hmm. So the Aztecs have actually, they believe that there were five different worlds or ages that were created and then destroyed. And the current age is supposedly the fifth age. Mm. Um, so we have those aspects of it. But they, they came into that part of Mexico sometime in the 1300s. And then the official date of their end, more or less, is 1521, okay. which is a few years after Cortes landed. So it, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't an immediate end of their culture when they came. Okay. Well, they were nomadic, too. I mean, I'm, again, I'm not an expert yeah. <laughs> either. But, uh, and I'm, I'm primarily working off of a book called The Guadalupe Mysteries by... Oh boy, uh, Gregors Gorni and Janas uh, Rosican. It's no. published by Ignatius Press. It's really cool. I don't. I, I butchered their names, um, but it's it's published by published by Ignatius. It's a pretty big book, um, and it's it's really. Cool. I'm not getting paid by Ignatius or anything, but um, <laughs> um, it's really interesting. So they kind of they go into the history of the Aztecs a little bit, you know, not as much as I wanted to, and the mythology and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it gives a good overview of. The history, the Spanish conquest, and the uh, tilma, and all the crazy things about the tilma. Um, but it, so in, in this, they said they were nomadic, mm-hmm. and as they wandered, like you said they displaced the culture. I think that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> they. It sounds like they would when they would go to another location, 
the, the, cult, the, the existing culture civilization would say, hey, you can stay here. And then the Aztecs would be like, okay, great. Well, uh, we're going to kill and eat you. So um, basically, um, that's maybe a bit exaggerated. No, not really. No, I mean, that some, that some of the scenarios that they, they described were pretty graphic. Yes. Uh, like the Aztecs. This is not, so this episode is not for kids. So if you want to <laughs> pause and like listen to it later without kids, this is your warning. Um, but one thing the Aztecs did was they... Uh, lured a pr- uh, princess of the, uh, the the neighboring civilization over and uh, killed her, skinned her, and wore her skin, um, and invited her dad over, the king, um, from that civilization um, mm-hmm. to worship their gods. And he th- saw that the main priest was wearing the skin of his killed daughter. Um, so that didn't end well for them. They started a war, and then the Aztecs, I think, got kicked out of that area. Mm-hmm. And they eventually settled in um, Lake Tex- Texcoco? Tex- Texcoco? Tex- Texaco? Uh-huh. Oh dear me! <laughs> I think it's like Texcoco, not Texcoco, Something like, like that. the yeah. gas station. Not but, the gas um, station. Um, yeah. And they were led there, based on mm-hmm. what I read, by their god, which is a, it's a hummingbird, the left-handed hummingbird, Huitzilopochtli, uh, yeah. something like that. So we'll just call yeah. him the hummingbird god. Um, <laughs> so, what can you can you tell us anything about this god? Um, mm-hmm. What was the significance of this hummingbird god, why hummingbirds, you know, um, mm. if, you, if you know anything about it. Um. Uh, a little bit. Mm. So Huitzilopochtli, or the sun god, um, he's called the hummingbird god or the hummingbird of the south, mm. which is significant uh, because this is, again, he was, he was associated with the fifth era or the fifth world. And the, these worlds are kind of patronized or, or overseen by these different gods who are associated with the cardinal directions. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so so that is from the south was important. Uh, and the image of the hummingbird is also fairly important. They are seen as warriors mm. in the Aztec culture, which is And they kind, kind of, of are. Cool. Yeah. yeah, as a bio- I'm a biologist, so yes, hummingbirds, uh, especially male hummingbirds, mm-hmm. will joust each other um, for mates, basically. Mm-hmm. And they they can they can get violent, I think, um, but they they're very they, they zip at each other. You know, they and it's kind of funny to watch, but they are very aggressive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that does make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have we have that imagery of of the hummer hummingbird being a a warrior and a, and this protector as well, protecting his people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also actually associations with color. The hummingbirds are often the the beautiful emerald or turquoise yeah. green colors, right. and that becomes a very important color to the Aztecs. Mm-hmm. It was royal; only kings could wear turquoise, right. um, not not the stone, but the color. And most people could wear tur- turquoise if they could afford it, uh, but turquoise cloth or mm-hmm. emerald cloth was reserved for royalty. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Well, that kind of makes sense with the with the um, the Quetzalcoatl, the other one of the other gods mm-hmm. coming from the east. Yes. Um, so that actually makes a lot of sense because um, of the, the uh, cardinal directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this hummingbird god um, Quetzalcoatlpochki. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if there's any Aztec listeners. I don't think there are, um, but there might be. Uh, I'm not trying to butcher these names, but again, these gods weren't great. So um, mm-hmm. they, he was leading them to, you know, this this region, and the, this book described it as kind of like um, they were like the chosen people, you know, mm-hmm. of this land. They're nomadic, yes. and they're they're destined for greatness. Um, and the reason they stopped at this lake is because they saw an eagle holding a rattlesnake in its talons and perched on a prickly pear cactus. 
and that's where they founded their their capital, uh, Tenochtitlan, mm-hmm. um, which I know how to pronounce because I've actually heard that word pronounced before. <laughs> um, so, I've always wondered why an eagle holding a rattlesnake on a mm-hmm. cactus. Why was that significant? Because I don't the, I don't know why that would be significant for mm-hmm. them. Yeah, and you know, I was I was reading up about it, and there's there's actually a lot of different myths. Mm-hmm or different versions of this this story of them being led to this this place with the eagle and the serpent and the cactus. Mm-hmm. Um, and some myths don't even agree that it's an eagle. Some some say it's a, a different, it's still a hawk-type bird, bird, but not an eagle, okay. bird of prey. Uh, but really, if, if, if again, thinking iconographically, it would make a difference. So if it was an eagle, eagles eagles are associated with the sun, which would make sense right. with Huitzilopochtli, um, the sun god, mm. to have that as his emissary. Uh, but it, it mixed into that is actually there is actually a lot of imagery associated with an eagle um, that ties the eagle to blood sacrifice, unsurprisingly, mm. right. because these these images of the eagle will often have the the pin pinion feathers of mm-hmm. the eagle his flight feathers um, long and black mm. which is the shape and color of the obsidian knives oh, okay. that yeah. they would use to cut out the hearts of their victims or mm-hmm. you know, any kind of blood sacrifice so so there's you know potential significance there with that that particular bird um, and that actually ties into the the prickly pear cactus because the fruit of the prickly pear that has its own name that I, I can't remember at the moment um, but the fruit was actually associated symbolically with the heart of Copil who was the nephew of the hummingbird god okay and whom he killed and took the heart out of in order to um, to gain kingship in the land. Okay. He actually had to kill <laughs> he had to kill his four half brothers. Yeah. In order to survive like actually yeah, yeah. because they were they were trying to kill him because, you know. Right. You know, gods. Gods. Yeah. <laughs> Fratricide, you know, all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's why we don't worship these guys. Like that's mm-hmm. not, not, not 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 pretty. <laughs> it's not not good. You are what you worship. You know, you become like the thing you worship. And I think the, mm-hmm. a lot of I think these gods were demons, honestly. I think they exist and they were demons. Um, I'm just saying that. <laughs> so um it's still really interesting. I really enjoy listening like learning about them, but I would never want to live in that culture. No, no. <laughs> so that's very interesting. Um so yeah, the eagle also um, was kind of associated with their like highest warrior class too, mm-hmm. right? Like the eagle yep. warriors, right? Because they had the jaguar warriors where they mm-hmm. wear the skin of a jaguar and mm-hmm. then they had the eagle warriors which was they used the, the pinions of the eagle mm-hmm. feathers to adorn their um, their, um, their armor or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think they believed that they would they had this like ritual school. It's like you know Harry Potter from Hell, uh, like Hogwarts, uh, but it's it's like they train their warriors, you know, through increasingly difficult and severe like like trials to become like these jaguar and eagle warriors, and they mm-hmm. thought they actually were channeling the spirits of these animals. Yes, um, and there are probably like drugs involved too. You know, and that's usually pretty common in yeah. cultures to like similar to the berserkers and yeah, in like to dull Europe. the senses yeah. and kind of drive them mad. You know, and yeah. so they can kill a bunch of people and not feel the in- their own injuries very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So really fascinating. Um, so we, yeah, okay, we talked about that, and so why? So the Aztecs. I know I'm I'm one of those people who 
I mean, <laughs> most historians agree, I think, that the Aztecs killed a bunch of people. <laughs> you know, there are some people in this culture who are like, the Aztecs, oh, it's exaggerated. And they only killed like tens of thousands of people a year, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, yeah. Okay. Still cutting out their hearts and dismembering people and kicking their corpses down a mountain. Like, that's not good. Um, it, so people, some people think that they, it was over-exaggerated. But mm -hmm. like 10,000, 80,000, like a year, I don't think it matters. Um, no. But... They were bloodthirsty. You know, yes. they they blood was very important to them. Um, and so, why did they sacrifice so many people so often? Like every time they'd, they'd have a, de a temple dedication, they'd sacrifice mm -hmm. you know like four hundred people a day, or maybe more than that. You know, um, yes. uh, to kind of consecrate the temple. You know, um, so why why were they so um, bloodthirsty with their sacrifices like that? That's a good question, and. It, it's very difficult to to even guess at where these ideas of theirs originally came from. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were a very very violent culture even from the beginning, going in and you know being friendly at first and then right. kind of turning on these people that they would they would um, call their allies. Uh, but their reasoning for it was was part of this mythology that they had, where they where these earths these ages could only be a be brought about by one of the gods sacrificing themselves. Mm. So the gods themselves would die in order to bring about life. Uh, and then they had to continually take blood in order to sustain the existence of the world. If the gods didn't have blood, then the next disaster would come because mm. there was, there's always a disaster coming. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and they're kind of, yeah, it's keeping off the end of the world, mm -hmm. basically. And that kind of, so, with a god sacrificing themselves so that kind of comes the corn god kind of comes into that yes. um so i know in pagan cultures like we tend to think of like pagan like pantheons like we kind of, i think we kind of put our own christian biases onto them right like we mm -hmm. think it's like all orderly and like well there's a god for this that and this and like this is the father of the gods and this you know and it, it's <laughs> a lot messier than that you know it's like it's pretty messy yeah. um because yeah. like you said they they these Aztec groups or, or this Aztec culture or whoever, like any mm -hmm. nomadic culture, will just incorporate things from other cultures. Like they'll just yes. kind of take it up. And that's very common. Through, it is. Like every pagan culture does this, right? They'll, yes. They'll, like the, the Greeks were really inspired mm -hmm. by the Egyptians, you know, mm -hmm. and that, so they'll incorporate some stuff from that. Um, and so it gets messy, right? Very quickly. Yeah. And it's not like, like Christianity is not messy. It's complicated. It can mm -hmm. be complicated, but it's not, it's not messy. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, oh, we don't know who God is, you know, like, it's up, I don't, the, the Trinity is very, it's a mystery and we can't really comprehend it, but it's like, it's not as, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's more orderly, <laughs> you know, there's order, it's not chaos. And the, the pagans seem to have a lot of chaos, but so how does the corn God factor in? So how, who was the corn God and why was he important to the Aztecs? Right. Uh, the corn God had a, a fairly prestigious pedigree um, that I can't recall at the moment. But the essence is that this this man, um, when he was killed, and then his sons go down to the underworld to try and resurrect him, they can't ultimately because you can't you can't actually resurrect anyone from the dead. But what they did was by actually dying themselves, they were able to give their blood to their father, mm -hmm. and he would come back as the corn god. Uh, and this was a yearly cycle, so every year. 
uh, people would have to go out into their fields and shed their own blood. This would be auto-sacrifice. Mm. Uh, shed their own blood into the ground, and that would be part of the planting ritual. So then they would plant the corn seed, and from that, the corn god, which was the actual corn, would sprout, go through an entire life from youth to old age, mm. and then be cut again. And then the cutting of the, the corn, where they would take the, the corn part that you eat and then return the majority of the rest of the plant back to the earth was kind of seen as putting that blood back into the ground as a sort of cycles of renewal. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that, yeah, the blood mm -hmm. and uh, the corn um, are tied together because the, the blood leads to this new life, right? So yes. they had that kind of idea. Um, it staves off, it staves off the bad things and brings about the good things, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, what the, mm -hmm. the blood is for. And then there's, um, in your talk, you talked about smoke, yes. too. And how, how does smoke tie into that? Yeah, so uh, the, there's kind of two different ways of offering blood to the gods. One is to spill it directly onto the ground, but the other is to burn it. Mm -hmm. So a lot, especially with the auto-sacrifice, so cutting yourself and, and sprinkling blood on the ground, um, or the, you could cut yourself and sprinkle the blood onto a piece of paper, and then you burn that paper and the smoke rises to the gods who, mm -hmm. as in most, pantheon, most pantheons, they live in the sky. Right. So that was a way of of giving blood maybe a bit more directly to the gods rather than putting it back into the earth. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And then uh, I think you talked about they would have they could have visions too, like mm -hmm. through the smoke, like or they could summon. Um, don't try this at home, please. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> like you, you mentioned, like this snake spirit snake spirit yeah. yeah coming out of the smoke i'm like that's how you get demons man don't do that <laughs> gosh um any like mm -hmm. snake demon with a human face coming out of smoke that you like from your Scary blood man. like no don't do that like that no. so yeah all those things kind of tie together mm -hmm. um and so that's why like they would you know kill like hundreds of thousands of people you know and they're still they they take out the heart, and the, the heart, I think, there's a flower. I think you mentioned the flower um, from that cactus, that mm -hmm. um, symbolic. Well, not, not the flower, the fruit. The fruit. Oh, I yeah. see. Yeah. There's a flower, too. Um, the, the flowers in Aztec symbology is, are very, very important. And yeah. Culturally, they were, they, were they were called gifts from the gods. Okay. Um, they were seen kind of like almost as an, a Christian equivalent of grace. So you see a flower okay. means you've been chosen by the gods Interesting. or been given this gift by the gods, yes. So the symbolism of uh, associated with different types of flowers was incredibly important. Was that like the, the, quin, the quincunx flower? Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the sunflower? Yeah, like mm -hmm. yeah. I forget what the, the quincunx means, uh, but it's, it's very important. Um, yeah, the, Especially in the tilma. Yes. Uh, it comes the, up in the tilma. It's the most common flower that you see in the tilma. Yeah. It's a four-petaled flower. With like a, yeah, the, with the yeah. four directions. Mm -hmm. It's important yeah, too. associated with the four directions, which yeah. actually associates it with the the creator god. Interesting. The one who controls all corners of the earth, all mm -hmm. directions. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So flowers are really important. All these mm -hmm. symbols are really important, um, especially in their art, their iconography, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but yeah. um, some, whatever their equivalent is. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, establishing all that. Um, blood is important, the flowers, um, mm -hmm. like all that stuff is, is very, very important. Um, so 
when you during we'll get to why that's important <laughs> for our Libra Lupe in a second here. But um, one thing that struck me with your talk when you kind of ended it, um, you had said or indicated or implied that um, the Aztecs at the height of their <laughs> depravity, let's say, um, they were like the inverse of the Catholic mm-hmm. religion. Like everything about them was um, like kind of flipped, you know, where they had like a Passover type of thing where they had, um, yeah. if, they, if they captured, what they do is they'd go to war, but they wouldn't go to war to kill their enemies. They'd go to war to capture. So all of mm-hmm. their strategy in battle was capturing enemies and mm-hmm. so they could uh, sacrifice them later. And what they would do is they would um, take their captives and live with them. They'd live in their household for like a year or yeah. whatever and get to know them and, you know, have... Yeah, and like, become part of their family, essentially. Right. Be this honored guest. Right. And that'd be treated really well. Right. Until the end when they're killed and <laughs> a piece of their flesh is eaten. Right. So it... Or like a memento, yeah. like a toenail or yeah, a fingernail would be kept. would be kept, yeah. or a piece of hair. Or they made art out of people's bones, oh, too. Gosh. So yeah. you, would, you would have these bone flutes. They weren't typically mm. played on, but they would be kept um, and like strung out the window. Yeah. So that as wind, wind would go through them, it would, it would play. Yeah. 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 Well, then, yeah, they had all sorts of other things, too. Mm. Um, obviously cannibalism is kind of an inverse of the Eucharist, right? Yes. And yeah. and um, like the Passover lamb keeping people in your house. And like, yeah, we really like you, but we're going to kill you in nine months, you, you know? Um, so it's actually a, it's a sacrifice for them, mm-hmm. too, the family, because you're actually losing the person that you, you've come to like. Yes, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, yeah. So what's going on there? You know, why, why is it... Because mm-hmm. other pagan cultures, you know, they have human sacrifice sometimes. You know, most of them do, but it's not... It's not a common thing in most cultures. No. Like the the um, Phoenicians, or sometimes they're called the Canaanites in the Bible, mm. were the ones mostly known for human sacrifice. Carthaginians. Yes, and, and yeah. yes, uh, and most of the time it was really only when they were in dire need. Right. When you know famine or tremendous foe is approaching them and they're not sure that they're going to win um, and then you offer usually you offer the best yeah. of your people mm-hmm. which for the Carthaginians would have been actually their their children so they were yeah, right. they were the ones who practiced not just human sacrifices but Moloch? infant sacrifices Moloch or Baal, Baal okay. it's they so many I mean the Carthaginians are one of the Phoenician cities and well, I they so. they dis- dispersed across the Mediterranean so right. each city is slightly different in what they do well but, and then they yeah, yeah. With, the, with them they would usually sacrifice their their first child mm-hmm. in order to get more children you mm-hmm. know that was kind of the bargain you know yeah. like like that Baal or Moloch would give them more children it's like we already had a kid you know like <laughs> you just gave yeah it doesn't yeah, like it doesn't really twisted. really compute there um mm-hmm. But so the the Aztecs were like it. Their neighbors didn't like them. They enslaved mm-hmm. their other the other tribes, yeah. and they became this. Like everything about them was kind of the opposite of the truth, you know. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering like how they got there. You know what's what was going on in that culture. I don't know if any, I don't know if you could speak <laughs> to that at all. But it's just it's kind of mind boggling how violent they were. Like I read mm-hmm. accounts in this book. Um, what page was it on? Um, I have a note in here about it. Um, but, you know, maybe I don't need to read it. It's pretty gruesome. But uh, one thing they did was, uh, again, this is not a children's show. Uh, this not this episode anyway. Um, they would, in order to appease the agricultural god that they worshipped, they would um, 
they would torture children before killing them, mm -hmm. like as much as they could. It's get the yeah. kids to cry and water the tear, the earth with their tears, mm -hmm. and pull out their fingernails and stuff. And I'm like, that is just the worst thing ever. You know, like that is so horrible. Um, yeah. But they thought it was like they needed the tears to bring forth good crops, you know. Mm -hmm. and other ones were like they'd take live people, throw them in the fire, you know, mm -hmm. and take them up before they died and keep doing that until, you know, they could sacrifice them. And they're just like this perpetual torture and death in their culture. And I know you went to Wyoming Catholic, but I think yeah. the founder of Christendom, uh, William, oh, Carol, what's his first name? I can't remember his first name. Um, one of the founders of Christendom. I haven't, wrote, I haven't written the, uh, read this book, but he wrote a book about Our Lady of Guadalupe, and um, in it he calls it the, the culture that is was most dominated by the devil or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, and I'm like, I can't learn about them and not agree with that, it, you know, because <laughs> yes. it's like they're so violent and horrible, but they're still so fascinating, you know, it's... They really are, and, and part of that, for me at least, is that you look at these motivations that they have, and it's not about being evil. Right. It's about trying to to help their culture and their civilization to prosper right, right. this you know whatever twisted enjoyment they might have had in in these horrible things that they did mm -hmm. it was actually meant to serve a purpose right stave off the end of the world yeah you know make sure that you know the, the crops will actually grow mm -hmm. so but it made them cruel you it know made them extremely cruel right and i think that's i mean this gets back to your your um, question earlier about it being the inverse of Christianity, and I think that it's it, it's that that makes it the inverse of Christianity because we have, I mean, we have got Jesus dying on the cross for us, shedding right. shedding every last drop of blood that he had for us. Mm -hmm. um, but for the Aztecs, in order to kind of, in a sense, kind of do the same thing. They had to shed figuratively every single last drop of blood of the people, right? Because God, in their mythology, God dies to bring about the world, and he needs—he needs. I mean, he's dead, but he needs blood in order to sustain the world, right? But human beings can't give en enough blood, like physically. We cannot. There is no way we can match God for giving blood, right? So in this desire and the need and the fear to try and make an equal con contribution, they have to be so cruel. Yeah. Well, I think the heart of that culture, as you said, mm -hmm. the, the heart of that culture was fear. Mm -hmm. You know, fear that everything will end if we don't do something now, you know. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what we got going on now in our culture, too, in many ways. Like, a lot of it's, it's a lot of fear. You mm -hmm. know, if we don't do something about this thing, then this horrible <laughs> thing's going to happen, you know. Um, yeah. And if we don't care how many eggs we have to break to get there, you know, how many people we have to ruin and stuff. So it's, it's fear is kind of the dominating emotion in that culture, which is really interesting because you wouldn't think that because they're all, like, warriors and, mm -hmm. you know, um, but it's fear. They're just, they're afraid. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, they, and it's, it's, it's something that I... <laughs> I kind of sympathize with very deeply because I'm not afraid to die, mm. right? I I could, you know, go out and save my little sister from a burning building and give my life that way and not think twice about it. What I'm afraid of is my little sister dying right. in that burning building. Right. So it's not it's not fear for myself. It's fear for, you know, my family, my kids, my friends. You know all those different things and that's incredibly motivating and people will do a lot 
to protect the people that they love. Right. And sometimes that's not always a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, and so they so they were constantly worried that some cataclysm was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And to their credit, it did happen. Um, yeah. I think it did. Um, so they had two calendars, as far as I could tell. Uh, they had a solar one and a sacral one that matched up every 52 years, mm -hmm. and that began a new Aztec century. So I'm just reading from my notes right now. Um, and they had, a, they had a belief that at some point in the future, at the start of a new century, a god would return from exile in the east and arrive from across the ocean, bringing retribution upon those who had forced him to flee and founding a new order. And the new year was, um, the start of the new year was 1519, mm -hmm. and the Spaniards, uh, Hernan Cortez, arrived on this, the first day of that new century. And um, he embodied, to the Aztecs, he embodied all of the attributes that they were looking for in the, the god from the east. Um, which is really interesting. Um, so the god they were talking about was Quetzalcoatl. Mm -hmm. um, so who was Quetzalcoatl? Why was he associated with the east, like the, the hummingbird god was with, with the south? Mm -hmm. um, and why did the Aztecs think Cortez was this god? Yes. Well, it's complicated. Because um, <laughs> again, right, the, these god systems are not nice and orderly and laid right. out. So we talked about Huitzilopochtli being a sun god. Mm -hmm. Quetzalcoatl is also a sun god. Okay. Um, and he's actually the creator of the sun of the fifth age, so the, the current age, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but he had he had gone out away from the people. Um, and that's where you have Huitzilopochtli, in a sense, kind of taking his place as the leader of the people. Oh, but he had promised to return. So you have this this ruler god who who is supposed to return and become again the leader of the people. Uh, and there were certain prophecies that went along with his promise to return, including um, a prophecy that foretold white birds accompanying him. Okay. So one of the signs that the the Aztecs saw with Cortez, they immediately thought, you know, that's Quetzalcoatl was his ships and their white sails mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. coming out of the east. Um, so the time of his arrival and then some, a lot of these different prophecies really strongly associated Cortez with the return of Quetzalcoatl. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that's one of those those things where the a lot of historians and scholars look at it nowadays and they say, we're not really sure if they really thought he was Quetzalcoatl or mm -hmm. if they just really revered him as a warrior who's maybe a prefiguration of the god Quetzalcoatl. Interesting. So, um, I don't, I don't know if... At that point, yes, <laughs> yes. And I don't know, too, if there, there's so much, such a trend in modern scholarship now to try and discredit a lot of earlier claims mm -hmm. that would give Christianity or Western culture a kind of superiority complex. Right. So a lot right. of a lot of scholarship is all about putting Europe down. Yeah. 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 Well another thing, um, he was all like I think Quetzalcoatl was supposed to be fair skinned and have mm -hmm. be bearded because like a lot of mm -hmm. the natives I don't think they could grow beards they had I think they had um, facial hair is that right? They or? did have facial hair but they're kind of like the Asians where it tended yeah. to be very thin yeah they didn't have like yeah. the big bushy beards mm -hmm. that, like the Europeans yeah, so, so it was never a fashion to have a beard right yeah that's, yeah. that's maybe a good way to put it yeah. um, and so Cortez he was bearded he's fair skinned mm -hmm. you know he's wearing a he's 
he's supposed to be wearing black and he was wearing black and so mm-hmm. you kind of like fit all of these symbolic yeah. um, resonances with this god and in in you know a very real way the Spaniards arriving um, first of all on that date when the new year was supposed to be is like okay yeah that's that's not a coincidence right I don't mm-hmm. think that's a coincidence and their world did end <laughs> you know the Aztec world did end yes it was the end of the world for them um, it ended violently yeah sort of in the in the same manner that they had been living themselves so right. you know you live by the sword and you die by the sword right and yeah, yeah so Cortez arrived he embodies all of these this imagery of this exiled god um, and the world ends and it, it's kind of I think Montezuma, who was the the king, right, of mm-hmm. the Aztecs at the time, third or th- Montezuma second, the third or fourth, second, something like that, something yeah. like that, yeah. And according to this book, he was mm-hmm. um, not w- was quite willing to fight against the Spaniards because he thought that because this was Quetzalcoatl or an emissary of him or some embodiment of him, mm-hmm. that this was the end and there's no point in fighting it, right? So mm-hmm. it's this fatalistic attitude, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so he, the another reason they thought that this was the Cortez was this god was they had um, seven signs. I have them kind of bookmarked here. There are seven signs. I thought they were interesting. So, um, see, the first was a comet in the middle of the day. The second, a column of fire in the night sky. The third, a fire in the temple of uh, some god. I don't know. Uh, uh, you can. <laughs> this is nice about. Oh, uh, Shuito Kuchli? The fourth, lightning that struck the temple of uh, the hummingbird god, Mm -hmm. though there was clear sky at the time. The fifth, a great flood in Tenochtitlan. The sixth, Mm -hmm. a vision of multi-headed strangers in the Aztec capital. And seventh, the laments of women. On eighth, the priest that caught a strange bird, in the eyes of which Montezuma saw bearded men landing on the seashore. So they had all these, like, premonitions, Mm -hmm. which I think is... I mean, I just love that stuff. It's so cool. Like, um... And then the... the, Then Cortez arrives, and you can see why they might come to this conclusion that this is the end. Like, especially Mm -hmm. Montezuma. Like, this is the end for me. Yes. (laughs) You know, which... Which is good, but I feel bad for him a little bit, you know, Montezuma. He's like, oh, I'm not even going to fight it, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I was doing a little bit of research um, last week, and I read this really bizarre article that was trying to figure out why the Spaniards so easily killed and conquered mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. culture that was, you know, at its peak, and they had so many fine warriors. And I was just like, these Aztecs were fighting with swords made out of obsidian. Right. And the Spaniards had guns. <laughs> armor. <They> had what? <laughs> metal armor. They had, like, the Spanish blades were some of the best in the world, mm-hmm. right? Like, it wasn't even yeah. close. And like, obsidian, like, is very sharp, but it's very breakable. It's very brittle. Yeah. And, and they didn't, they didn't really, the Aztecs didn't really wear armor. They would wear the right. skins of defeated warriors. Right. Because it would give them spiritual armor. Right. Um. But they also, their battle tactics, like we talked about earlier, the mm-hmm. Aztecs were looking to disarm and capture and not mm-hmm. to kill. So, like, their their whole, like, strategy was not designed to even kill. I mean, they, yeah. maybe they did kill people in battle, but they, oh, they were designed sure. mainly yeah. to capture. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cortez also, um, he allied himself with the, the tribes that were under the foothill of the, of the mm-hmm. Aztecs, yes. which helped a lot. Yes. Um, and, and Cortez had, a, um, her name was Malinche, 
and she had, she was um, a native woman who was mm-hmm. kind of his like concubine, mm-hmm. um, but she translated for him, mm-hmm. you know. And so that was really helpful too to get these allies from these other tribes that didn't really like the Aztecs, you know, because they kept sacrificing their people to, you know. Um, so that was really helpful. And there was only like three hundred at like like Spanish warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there wasn't a whole lot of Spanish. Yeah, really not with the many warriors. Uh, but yeah, they had guns, mm-hmm. they had crossbows, they had mm-hmm. they had swords, and they were taller mm-hmm. than the Aztecs yes. on average because you know they were um, they usually had better food. I'm guessing. I was well, the Spaniards. Reason. Interestingly, the Spaniards weren't actually very tall at that period because mm-hmm. um, if you read about uh, the people who landed in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, the Spaniards who landed there, and they encountered a tribe of Indians there. And these tribe of Indians was supposedly very tall. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see dioramas of them, and you're like, the short little Spaniards who are 5'10", <laughs> and right. these 6'10", native Interesting. Floridians. Um, so I guess it's not what we would call tall. Right, but they were but like... for that time period, that was, yeah. that was pretty stocky. Well, they had, and this yeah. book said they had a longer uh, reach with their swords, mm. so that, I mean, they, they could... Yes, you know, yeah. That makes all the difference when you're fighting people, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's not a huge mystery as to why they were able to no, defeat... No, I don't think so at all. ...defeat <laughs> the Aztecs. I mean, it is pretty impressive, obviously, because mm-hmm. um, there was a few hundred Spaniards, their native allies, and then mm-hmm. um, against the entire might of the Aztec Empire. But then Montezuma didn't want to fight them anyway. So like they were kind of like they were kind of I don't know, spiritually crippled maybe at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah, I don't know. Without their leader. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, it is kind of funny. Like why why how did they win? It's like, well, mm-hmm. I mean, they had every everything about them was just like better, <laughs> like warrior wise, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a huge huge not really a fair fight. <laughs> right. Yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't a fair fight. Um so yeah, that's really interesting. And then mm-hmm. the question I asked you, um, if you remember, um, when you gave your talk, was um, when like Christianity first like arrived, you know, when Christ became incarnate, incarnate in Jerusalem, um, paganism in that surrounding area was kind of changing, right? To mm-hmm. I think to make itself more amenable to receiving the gospels, like Hellenization and mm-hmm. the pagan gods were becoming. Like it's that they were going from maybe like uh, cruel and horrible to something a little bit less so, mm-hmm. and you have the the cult of the unknown god that Saint Paul talks about. So you have all of these things kind of shifting, kind of making way. And I asked you um, if the same thing happened in the Mesoamerica, like in the Aztec culture. Did their did their culture get more amenable to? I'm laughing because I know what the answer is. Um, <laughs> did, did they become more amenable to Christianity, or how did they change when before the Spaniards arrived? Yeah, haha. Uh, ha. <laughs> um, they uh, again. This is one of those really tricky areas because you read the the official scholarship, and it's actually really confusing. Um, partly because a lot of records were lost from that time period yeah. right before the the Europeans arrived. So a lot of what we know about them are the records from the Spaniards and they're not going to go out of their way to make the Aztec religion look good right um, but it seems that in the the decades maybe a century before the the Europeans came the cults had actually started to become more violent to demand more blood more sacrifice 
uh, which is kind of the opposite of what happened with the Hellenization, where it became more charitable, more focused on things like the common good, more, right. more you know, accepting more, the cult of the open. unknown God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, really well, kind perfect, of paving but... the way for Christ. So with, with the opposite of that happening with, with the Aztecs, um, you can look at it mystically and see that as, as the devil really trying to solidify his hold of these people. Yeah. Um, one aspect of it. Uh, but you could also look at it and say, you know, in some senses, this idea of Christ shedding his blood to save us and the gods shedding their blood and then we needing to sacrifice to, to fill that gap that the gods leave. You know, it's, it, the idea is so similar mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, that you really almost you need to have an enormous gulf between the practice of these different belief systems for people to really realize that they are different mm-hmm. and that one is wrong. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So, so you look at the the extreme cruelty of the Aztecs in those last century or decades before the the Christians Christianity came. You know, and people must have been ripe for conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that they really had an easy time. They didn't actually. Right. They had a really difficult time converting people. Right. But once people converted, they were all in. Yeah. Right. They it was it was almost almost immediate and complete and, yeah. and, and we'll get to that widespread. Too. And what how, what yeah. changed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, cuz yeah, you were the, Conversion when the after the Spaniards arrived, you had the Franciscan missionaries coming in, the Jesuits mm-hmm. a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and convert the conversion process was slow, yeah. like very slow. Very slow. Um, well, I mean, I, you can kind of see why because like the conquistadors were many of them were cruel and mm-hmm. did horrible things, um, yep. and you know massacres and enslavement and all these really really bad things, um, and people like Cortez, um, who I don't think. I don't think he was a bad guy. Um, from what I've read, he he actually is. All this stuff happened when he left. Um, then the his other conquistadors or whatever they started to do things without mm-hmm. without official um, sanction yeah. from the crown, you know, mm-hmm. or from the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of which were so far removed that they had no authority over. Yeah. No early. real authority over what the conquistadors did, which is why yeah. so many of those people could get away with behaving like complete jerks. Uh, that's you know, yeah. <laughs> putting it mildly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the so, but so that you know, it kind of their whole culture is in shambles. Like you know, these people were trying to get them to to convert to their religion. You know, mm. and they were kind of like in this um, almost like a nihilistic sort of fatalism. You know, mm. that they were in. Yeah. And I could, you could see why, right? You could, it, it's yeah. understandable as to why that would be. Yeah, I so, mean, if, if their whole religion previously had been based off of fear, right? Fear that the world won't, right. fear that the crops won't grow, fear well, then, that we won't have more their children. Their gods abandoned them, you know, which yeah. is true. They did. Like, obviously mm-hmm. they did. Because <laughs> yes. the devil's not going to yeah. help you. <laughs> yeah, but then your your whole their whole mindset must have been like, how can we get the gods back? How can we appease right. this? Otherwise our world will end. Right. How do you switch that to being like, no, the world's not in danger of ending anytime soon well then how and how can you trust yeah. this new god mm-hmm. right that's that's the other yeah. thing too how can yeah. you trust the new god when your gods abandon you right mm-hmm. why is this one different so that's i think a yeah. big reason why it was really slow um yes. and that brings us to um saint juan diego 
um, and the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And all this is background to that. Like, I don't think you can, I don't think the the pagan religion stuff is really important, I mm-hmm. think. I think it's really important to understand how those systems functioned and mm-hmm. how their symbols worked. Um, and I think as Catholics, we should understand that, you know, because it gives us indications as to how they converted, you know, what what made it possible for different pagan groups to convert, you know, um, and that can give us insight as to how we can convert people today, even people who are not religious. Um, yeah. I'm not at the point to understand how those connect, but I think <laughs> it's important to understand both, um, mm-hmm. how one informs the other. So, um, it's and the reason it's important in this particular case is because of the tilma of related of Guadalupe, which would be half of it would be incoherent if we did mm-hmm. not understand the Aztec symbolism, at least loosely, you know? Yes. Um, so if you could give a very brief, um, like, who was Juan Diego and what happened at Tepeyac Hill? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Juan Diego himself, um, as far as we know, was... Wow, this is where it gets very confusing because again we have we have different stories about who he was. Um, some stories say that he was a very poor man, um, a merchant, but not a particularly successful one. Other stories say that he was a very very successful cloth merchant. Mm. Uh, and I would, I would, well, I'll get into my own theories later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but whoever he was, uh, he was a convert. Mm-hmm. to Christianity. He and his wife converted. Um, and then his wife died a few years later. So he's, you know, a middle-aged or later middle-aged man who is very devout, very faithful. He goes to Mass every day. And to do that, he actually has to walk five miles mm-hmm. from the village where he lives that is so small it doesn't have its own church to the nearest church. Um, and he does that, you know, like four o'clock in the morning so that mm-hmm. he has time to get there. And one day, as he's walking past Tepeyac Hill, which was a hill that was renowned for being barren, it was mm-hmm. full of saltpeter. Okay. Um, which plants, do, most plants don't really grow well in that kind of right. earth. Um, but he walks past this hill and he hears birdsong and he hears a voice calling to him. So he climbs Tepeyac Hill. And he sees a lady uh, surrounded by these all these flowers and these birds, and she's beautiful, and she's de- it's, she's described as a princess. Mm-hmm. Um, and she asks Juan Diego to take a message to the bishop back in Mexico City. And so he's like, "Well, who am I to do this?" And right. she just says, "You are my son." Yeah. Go and go and bring this message. And the message was that you wanted a church built on that hill. Right. So the Juan Diego goes to, to the bishop and because he's, you know, fifty odd years and he's not particularly well off and he has this weird, crazy vision message to the, <laughs> right. the bishop, he's not let in to see the bishop for a long time. Mm-hmm. So he spends, you know, he got up at five o'clock in the morning, was walking on his way, probably missed mass, has this weird vision and encounter that is very mysterious, and then isn't let in to see the bishop. And when he is, the bishop doesn't really believe him. Right. The bishop says, go back and talk to her again and ask to give me a sign, mm-hmm. because what you're saying is crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he goes back and he's like, I, I, the bishop wants a sign. And the lady says, okay, come back tomorrow morning and I'll give you a sign. 
So he goes home. And that night, his uncle, whom he lives with, gets very, very sick. So he stays up the entire night nursing his uncle. But his uncle continues to get sicker and sicker. So finally, he... No, well, he, you know, that night and then actually all through the next day, he's nursing his uncle, mm-hmm. you know, and then the next night and the next day, and it's Sunday now, um, and his uncle is dying. So he has to go and get a priest so his uncle can have the last rites. So he's rushing to go get the priest for his uncle. And he decides to try and sort of going close to the hill where he usually goes, he goes around. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to avoid her. To avoid the lady, because he feels bad about it. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, hey, I don't want to talk to her. I feel yeah, bad. <laughs> yeah. I can't handle this right now. It's too much. Silent treatment. <laughs> <laughs> sympathize, Juan Diego. Sympathize. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Embarrassed. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he hears her voice anyway. She's like, Juan Diego, why did you not come? And he's like, I'm so sorry. My uncle was here. I wanted to come, but I, I had to take care of him. He's the only family I had left. And she's just like, I have the sign. Go up to the top of the hill and see what you find there. Collect what you find there. So he goes up to the top of the hill and he sees roses. And we think most likely what he saw was the Castilian rose right. from Castile, Spain, which was not native to right. Mexico. As far as we know, hadn't been brought there yet. And it was winter. And it was winter, right? So it should be right, nothing. December twelfth. Right. It should have been nothing. Although I don't know what winter in in Mexico is like. I think it's cold still. I don't okay. think it's like snow. Like in Minnesota, mm-hmm. we're in Minnesota right yeah. now. It's not. Yeah, that like would this. be crazy. But I don't but, think flowers grow, mm-hmm. and especially in the uh, you know, high, I don't know how high Tepeyac Hill is. I don't. But, um, I don't think it's particularly high. But, but like you, yeah. as you were saying, it, it, it's a barren. It's a barren hill. hill, so nothing's yeah. growing there anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. So to see these flowers, is is was shocking so right. he, he gathers these roses and one of the things that i think is really interesting about the castilian rose is that they have these big beautiful kind of pinky red blossoms but mm-hmm. then they also have incredibly long thorns interesting yeah yeah um so he, he gathers these roses and he takes them back down the hill to the lady and she arranges them in his tilma and the tilma is essentially the tilma is a traveling cloak or mm-hmm. an, an all-purpose kind of made garment by agave fibers right it can be made by agave fibers um in which case it would be more pro- properly called the tilmatle okay interesting yes so that if it if it's made by agave fibers so fibers it would indicate poverty that was not your high oh, quality cloth okay. yeah um so yes there's that uh, so she arranges his flowers, the flowers in his tilma, and says, you know, go see the bishop. And he's like, well, what about my uncle? He's dying. And she's like, don't worry. You are my son. I will take care of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so he's like, okay. And then he goes to the bishop, and he gets in to see the bishop. And he says, here is your sign. And he opens his cloak to let the flower, flowers fall at the feet of the bishop. And the bishop falls to his knees. And he's not looking at the flowers. He's mm-hmm. looking at the tilma. Because on the tilma is the vision of who Juan Diego saw, right? The right. lady that he saw. Um, and then, of course, the bishop realizes what's going on, and he mm-hmm. agrees to build the church as, as Mary had requested. And, you know, Juan Diego says, great, my, my job's done. <laughs> and he goes back to his uncle, and his uncle is healed. Right. And, you know, they, they chat about it, and it's he realizes that the exact moment when Mary says you know I'll take care of your uncle is when his uncle had a vision of Mary coming in and tending to him right and that's when he got better yep 
So you have. She, that's when yeah. she said, um, "I am the Lady of Guadalupe" or something like that. Like she identifies mm-hmm. herself to the uncle. Mm-hmm. And in this book, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. I did not make this connection before. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's his uncle, right? And mm-hmm. he's the elder of the family. Yep. And who is whose job it is to maintain the lore and the culture and the traditions. And when mm-hmm. you're elder, the eldest. Uh, member of the family is dying or dies it's a huge tragedy for the whole family and um, so it wasn't just like his just random uncle right Mm -hmm. it was the eldest member of his family unit you know that was dying and he's Mm going to lose all of that that tradition and all Mm -hmm. that stuff Um, and so Our Lady appears to him and tells him who she is because he has that status as the eldest um the the elder of the family Mm -hmm. um which is really cool I did not make that connection before so she tells him I am you know, I think she's, I, I am the Lady of Guadalupe or I, something like that. Something the Virgin like that, of Guadalupe yeah. or something. I can't quite yeah, I think it's, she she's more traditionally called the Virgin of Guadalupe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, she, she self-identifies to the, mm-hmm. el- the elder of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yes. And what is, I mean, the, the her choice of that name is really interesting because we think of Guadalupe and, and we think Mexico. But yeah. actually that title comes from Spain. Right. Um, from a vision that happened a couple centuries earlier and was associated with a statue in um, in Spain uh, also called the the Virgin of Guadalupe associated with the Guadalupe River there interesting okay yeah, yeah. and I couldn't find any historical documents that confirmed this but traditionally it's the this image of our Lady of Guadalupe from Spain that Cortez brought to Mexico on a banner. Oh yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I've heard of that too. Yeah, yeah. and then there was um, uh, the same book mentions the Battle of Lepanto, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other thing. I won't get into it much, but they <laughs> um, apparently there was a banner of the the Virgin of Guadalupe, Virgin of Guadalupe uh, in there. the Battle of Lepanto, mm-hmm. uh, which is a you don't know what the Battle of Lepanto is, you need to look it up because it's an extremely <laughs> important naval battle uh, against the Christians versus the Islamic fleets. Um, the Ottoman for the, Empire. Yeah, the yeah. Ottoman Empire for the fate of for the fate of Europe and, and Rome, mm-hmm. basically. So, um, short uh, 1500s, right? I think yes. that's yeah, yeah. So around the same time period. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and the Tilma. Um, so the reason I love this apparition is because it's not Our Lady. Um, you know, saying you need to pray the rosary every day or communism will happen. You know, like Our Lady of Fatima. I mean, that's very basic. Um, you know, that that's... Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that apparition justice. But, I mean, it's that's kind of the idea. You know, it's like if you don't amend... If you, you don't get people to amend their lives, mm-hmm. then bad things are going to happen. You know, because that's, that's what happens in the Bible. That's what happens. It's just... That's just what happens. You know, like when you think things get out of hand, you get some other... F- like national entity that comes in and just like subjugates you. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the pattern, you know? So um, it's usually her warning against that. But this isn't that, you know? This isn't her warning against some future calamity. This is her bringing together two cultures, you know? And in 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 an act of enculturation that's just so profound that we're still learning about how this image actually works Mm -hmm. today, you know? And like all the crazy things that are that this image, like, I, can do, you know, mm-hmm. like the tilma, um, which is made out of these fibers that should have decayed within 20 years of it being made, it's 500 years old, 
you yeah. know, and it's still you can go down to Mexico City in the, in the Basilica, I think it's in. Yeah, it's in the Basilica. Now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's still there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so I want to. I really want to talk about um, the symbolism mm-hmm. on the tilma, and um, the Spaniards saw it one way, mm-hmm. and the Aztec people saw it another way. They said they each saw their symbols and yeah. they could, co- you know, coherently interpret what was going on. To the Spaniards, it looked like a very standard image of the Virgin, yes. right? Um, it's got the blue mantle. It's got mm-hmm. the red um, uh, robe. Robe. Yep. Pink, mm-hmm. red. Um, mm-hmm. And the stars. Um, she's standing on the moon. So it's got the image of Revelation in there. Yeah. How did the natives see it? Yeah. Yes. So I think the the key to how the natives see it is actually in the way that uh, okay so I'll, so back up a little bit the, <laughs> <laughs> the the earliest recording of the story mm-hmm. actually comes from a piece of poetry um, called the Nikan Mopoa, which is stunningly beautiful it's a it's a hagiography okay so it's not meant to be a historic a history it's supposed to be kind of like a spiritual work yeah um but it's this this poem and you can if you google it you can find translations of it okay. and even in translation it is beautiful um and the way that juan diego describes how he sees her is as a princess yeah and i think that's that's the key to what the native people saw mm-hmm. and it goes back to things like that emerald green turquoise-ish color of her cloak right only royalty could wear that right only gods yeah or like the, yeah. Uh, someone divine mm-hmm. yeah. yep um the the stars in this idea of shining which we actually mm-hmm. see in the moon that's that mary is standing on which is black yeah not not what we usually think of when we think of the moon and to our culture uh, european culture black is associated with death which is right. bad evil and all that sort of stuff but but to the aztecs black is also associated with death but there's also this association with obsidian Mm-hmm. which is what their knives are made from, which is actually a tool of life, of the life that comes from death. Yeah, right. So we have, and, and you know, it's associated with the divine, and it's actually associated with the, one of the cardinal directions. I think it's east, but I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure. Okay. Um, so we have we have the color symbolism going in there and the the pink of her gown which mm-hmm. is important for the aztecs it's important that it's pink right um because that is the color that they associate with dawn which is again in the east right, right. yeah yeah and then um yeah this book is really cool because mm-hmm. it has like um i gotta find those pages now <laughs> um yeah so it has images of or like the the different um, how each group kind of interpreted the tilma. I think it's actually in the front of the book. Um, page forty. Uh, and then the natives saw the black sash mm-hmm. around her waist. Um, here it is. Um, as let's see. Sorry. <laughs> no, take your time. There it is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the bow is worn as a sign of pregnancy mm-hmm. by Aztec women. Her hair was uncovered, mm-hmm. and her um, face didn't have a mask. It was yeah. maskless, and mm-hmm. that means that she was human. But her mm-hmm. cloak 
the mantle mm-hmm. means that she's divine or she mm-hmm. comes from she's like a messenger from the gods yeah you know yeah. um so she like is this pregnant virgin mm-hmm. and because like the the sash around and the, the hair the down hair for the spaniards meant uh she's a virgin right? yes yeah. yeah and that also meant the same for the aztecs oh the, the down yes. hair well it meant that she was unmarried at least unmarried. okay yeah yeah, so yeah. like virgin, but she's mm-hmm. also pregnant with a mm-hmm. king because the the, mm-hmm. the flower, the quincrux over the, I think it's the quincrux over yep. the yeah her, over her, her belly, belly is, is means that there's a king sign of it's that flower associated with the the high god, the yeah. creator god, right? Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. really interesting. And then yeah. um, the angel mm-hmm. that she's standing on. Um, is with the tricolored wings, yeah, which is really important. Right, the, it's black. Red and green, uh, black, blue. pink, and green, blue. So it looks like blue, yeah. white, and red. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Blue, white, yes. and red. The eagle feathers. Red. The eagle feathers, yeah. which you know is has that strong association with the eagle that showed the people the way, or and was the, warrior, the sign. Warrior class um, too. The warrior class right. is also the sun. Associated yeah. with the sun. Well, there's a theory that um, the angel she's standing on is Saint Michael. Mm-hmm. You know that I read yeah. that. It's not in this book, but I, I read that somewhere. I'm like, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense because he's wearing the feathers, mm-hmm. which is associated with the highest warrior class in the yeah. Aztec culture. Yeah. And she's kind of holding her up. And he, one hand is grasping her mantle, which mm-hmm. is the turquoise, and the other one's grasping her um, robe. So it's like heaven and earth kind of meeting. You know, mm-hmm. so like there's just so much, and it's not even scratching the surface <laughs> of this image. Like it's just yeah. amazing. Um, the stars. Uh, if you want to, do you want to talk about the stars, like on her mantle, like the. Well, <laughs> if you could. Sure. No. Well, uh, see, this is this is where I get in trouble because I, I'm not a skeptic, but I tend to be very skeptical about just accepting things. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people will. Studies have been done that associate the stars with the stars that were actually in the in the sky at the time of the vision. Right. Um, and the the constellations that they identify are constellations that are significant to the um, to European Christian myths, right? Myths, legends, stories, um, and things like that. And they're also very similar to the the constellations for the Aztecs, the, the Pleiades yeah, is a really overlap. important yeah. one. They're yeah. different though. Yeah. Like they have different, They're different yeah. stories and, and the right. constellations are slightly different, but they are surprisingly similar. Right. Um, so you, you, we have the, those associations there. Mm. Personally, I look at the stars that are in her cloak and they seem to evenly split space to form a pattern. So I'm not entirely sure. I, I, okay. I believe that. But I'm not an astronomer, right? So well, what what they uh, what they did was yeah they these um, mathematicians and astronomers mm-hmm. um, in Mexico mm-hmm. and this is like 1980s yeah know, they were doing this yeah. um, they they kind of like calculated it out and they now like we have this technology now where we can we can look at the star mm-hmm. the sky from any point in time from any any place yeah you know which on is Earth. really cool yeah so you can like if you want to go back to you know, uh, December twelfth, fifteen thirty-one, and mm-hmm. you know, go look at Tepeyac Hill, or go look at where the where Juan Diego was standing mm-hmm. when he unveiled the the Tilma. You can do that and see yeah. what the nice guy was like at that particular time. You mm-hmm. know, um, and so they did some calculations, and like the 
she's she has so obviously not all the constellations you, can, you can't see all the constellations yes they're all they're all partial because you right. actually don't see that much of her her cloak right but you can see the position of like a handful of stars for one constellation and right and the other yeah. so you can see some stuff and then um they said that it's not mm-hmm. it's not from our perspective looking up at the sky mm-hmm. it's an inverse of that so it's like if God were looking down on Earth and he saw through the stars, that's how mm. it would appear. So it's like a mirror. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's like a, it's like flipped, right? So um, and so the constellations, like you can't see them, but like where they mapped it out on her mantle, they can map out the rest of them with the rest mm-hmm. of the constellations in the sky. Yeah. And like if you were to superimpose those constellations onto Mary, um, you'd have like the uh, um, Oh, let's see. The, um, here it is. So the northern crown, I'm showing you this. Mm -hmm. Northern crown is on her forehead. Yeah. Virgo, the virgin, is over her heart. You know, um, Leo is over her her womb. Gemini is over her knees. Um, So, like, it kind of maps out onto her pretty symbolically you yeah know, like it, it's really interesting and she's blocking the sun right so she's standing in front of the sun mm-hmm. and she's standing over the moon and both of those like as we were talking about are uh, associated well the moon we haven't actually talked about but <laughs> the, the sun is associated with the, the different gods so she's mm-hmm. standing in front of the sun kind of blocking them out right and then standing over the moon and the moon is also associated with, I think, a female god. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is yes, that yes. the te- is that the same god who they worshipped on Tepeyac Hill? No. Okay. Yeah. No. The the female sun, female moon goddess is Kotlikwe, who was actually the mother of Quetzalcoatl. Interesting. Okay. Yes. And so on Tepeyac Hill, they actually had um, a temple there mm-hmm. at one point, right? The Aztecs yes. did. I'm guessing it was knocked down or torn apart or something because there's nothing there when mm-hmm. uh, St. Uh, Juan Diego was there. But that's another reason why Mary, I think, wanted to have a, um, a shrine there yes. to kind of consecrate the ground, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the temple they had to the, the other goddess was mm-hmm. pretty brutal. <laughs> yes, Tanatsin. Yeah. Um, what, she one a of snake the... goddess? Kwatlikwe. Uh, Co- was was the snake goddess okay. right and she's snake goddess but moon goddess as well sure um Tonatsin is associated with fertility and she's often portrayed showing uh, portrayed as carrying two children in her arms okay um so so very different from Kwatlikwe. yeah but i mean there are there are no aztec gods that don't demand blood sacrifice well right i mean so yeah, but- culture <laughs> yes <laughs> yes and this is this is where a lot of the research gets particularly muddied now as well because Tonatzin has become extremely popular with neo-pagans today oh interesting yeah and they tend to deny the more bloody aspects of it <laughs> well, it's inconvenient yes <laughs> it's like people the neo-pagans who worship Zeus you know mm-hmm. it's like the guy was a rapist like yeah. you can't really get around that you know it's kind of in all the stories and you know mm-hmm. so it's okay you worship your rapist that's that's nice yeah. good for you i guess yeah. i'm not going to no <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, a, it's a different sort of problem though because yeah. like with with um with say with Thor right, mm-hmm. um, not like the Marvel Thor but yeah. like the the the, the, the god actual Thor. Mytholo- mythological god yeah right well we don't actually have any records of how the ancient Norse people worshipped right mm-hmm. so not uh, modern neo pagans today have to kind of make it up yeah but we actually do kind of have some records of how we have a lot of records of how the Aztecs worshipped but they want they don't yeah. want to talk about it right mm-hmm. so it's kind of a you know, different. It's <laughs> like with one they have to make it up. The other one, like, well, we have tons. You want to worship like that? <laughs> we'll call the cops. You know, go, go, sacrifice your kids. Yeah. Right. So like, they yeah. have the records, but they're like, no, we, that's that's well, we're not going to do that. Mm. It's like, well, then, okay, you just playing pretends. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, that's yeah. Neo pagans are dumb. But um, <laughs> sorry if you're listening and you're a neo pagan. I think your your whole thing your whole thing is just dumb. Just be just be Catholic. Come on. Um, but uh, yeah, so Mary wanted a shrine on that particular hill mm-hmm. because of you know I'm assuming because of, of to kind of replace the, the what what happened there with um, something good and holy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, another. So yeah, that's the stars are really cool. Um, and another really interesting thing was like the flowers on her robe match mm-hmm. the mountain, like the volcanic ranges. I think like the a lot I hadn't heard of. Yeah, yeah. They it's like a ninety five percent like uh, match rate with like how. So mm-hmm. there's another. Let's see if I can find it. Um, <laughs> this picture is really cool. Yeah. So here's a picture of um, Mary kind of superimposed over this over the country of Mexico, mm-hmm. and the different uh, volcanoes match the flowers like the almost exactly on her um on her robe and i'm not sure what the significance of that is but i think in this book it says like mary actually becomes like part of the land yeah you know like consecrating all of mexico in Mm -hmm. a way you know Mm -hmm. to her and there's two mountain ranges uh two or two two mountain ranges two volcanoes who have um there's a story associated with them there probably is a lot of stories associated with um, volcanoes, but their lovers, uh, Popo Chipetla and Iztichihuatl, um, they were formerly two lovers, a warrior and a princess. Um, Iztichihuatl died of despair when she learned that um, Popo Chipetla. <laughs> Remember, I am from Minnesota, an American. I get to pronounce everything incorrectly. Uh, it's my right as a Minnesotan. Um, had been killed in battle. But this turned out to be untrue, and on returning from the war, um, Popochitipatle took his beloved's, beloved's body to the mountains to bury her in himself. However, the gods took pity on them and changed the lovers into two mountains. She is dormant while he spits out fire and stones. Um, so, yeah, like a lot of these volcanoes are actually active volcanoes. Yeah. Um, and they have, many of them have erupted recently. Um, one of them was in 2005, 1982, and the one in 1982 killed... 2,500 people. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's dangerous stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she like she like maps out on there, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah um, there are other things too. So uh, with the Quin the Quin Crux the Quin mm-hmm. Kunks, um, there's that flower. Um, do, are there other flowers that are significant that are like portrayed on her uh, robe that you know mm-hmm. of? Uh, well, there's so the the Quin Kunks is the most easily identifiable okay. in a certain sense, right? It, it's very stylized, uh, but a lot of people think it's it's the jasmine, which was a, a beloved flower of the Aztecs for its fragrance, for its beauty. Um, and they like, the, they 
they used white a mm. lot um, to 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 be kind of like that that blank blank canvas that you could put things into. So it was like creativity and mm-hmm. and growth. Um, the other there is one other I mean there's some vines and things but the other main flower um, could either be a sunflower mm-hmm. um, or some people think it's the poinsettia oh interesting okay yeah um, but the sunflower is very significant to the Aztecs uh, it was called the shield flower mm. so it was another one of those things that was widely associated with the warriors yeah but also because of the seeds with hospitality interesting okay yeah yeah Yes. Wow. So it was um, carrying it was was seen as a sign of for a man. It was seen as a sign of being a warrior. For a woman, it was seen as a sign of hospitality. Huh. Well. Yeah. yeah interesting. Um, yeah. There's there's so much to this image, and then um, I don't know. Is there any particular thing about the image that you really like? Because um, I could go on and on, but I, I, you're the guest. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I I'm most fascinated by the, the way that these these sim- symbols and images melds. Mm-hmm. Right. You have the the European image of her, and then this this Aztec image that, as you said before, right? They both of these cultures saw it and understood it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it comes together into something that is not only incredibly beautiful, but I think especially meaningful nowadays. Right. Uh, because I, I don't know if you've read anything in that book about her skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how she is, she's actually not a native. Right. She is what they called... Um, Amaretto. Mm-hmm. She was a mix of European and right. the, the native people. Um, this this offspring of them both right. coming together and is you know that most holy lady of the Europeans, but also princess of the people. So it's very much claiming Mexico as hers because yeah. you know Europeans are not going away. Right. But we need to find a way to be united together right. um and then i i i like what you showed me with the mountains mm-hmm. right and it goes back to this claiming of the land and and how the aztecs believed that you know the bodies of the gods when they died to create worlds actually physically became the things of the land right uh-huh. they would yeah. die and become a mountain or this person would die and become corn and this this god right. would die and become the river and right. you know all that sort of stuff so so seeing Right, the land in the body of the Virgin is a very like staking my territory type yeah, of thing. Yeah, definitely. That that's exactly yeah. what I think is going on too. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it, the mar- the marriage of these two cultures. Mm-hmm. Because after this image, I mean, they, they had a hard time converting people. Like you mm-hmm. had Juan Diego and his family, and Juan Diego, I think his native name actually was like Talking Eagle, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, which again, eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking, you know, um, it, so there's more symbolic resonances there. The fact that his name was uh, had, had had to do with the eagles, right? Yeah, with the yeah. sun and the warriors. Yeah, it's really <laughs> there's something else going on there too, I think. But um, I haven't I haven't thought much about it other than that. But after the the image was um, appeared on the tilma, the natives had almost no trouble converting after that. Mm-hmm. It was like they converted 
they, they converted so quickly and so thoroughly that the Franciscans they couldn't they couldn't <laughs> they handle almost it. couldn't keep up they yeah. couldn't keep up with the baptisms and like all this stuff because people would they see the image like oh we get we get what this is now mm-hmm. we get what you guys are all about now yeah and it wasn't because anything the Franciscans or the, any of the things the conquistadors did it was because Our Lady yes <laughs> you know because she's like you guys are screwing all this up I'm gonna come down there and fix it um, <laughs> that's kind of how I think about it. Uh, but they, they converted like 9 million, you know, mm-hmm. 9 million people converted in like yeah. not very many years, very, very quickly. Um, and it happened during the same time as the Protestant Reformation, which mm-hmm. led to the loss of about 5 million Catholics, you know. Yes. So it replaced it and almost doubled what was mm-hmm. lost. Um, and yeah, this, this the enculturation, like the taking of the, the, the imagery and baptizing it and making it into um, correcting it or, or fulfilling it, however you want to put it. And making it into something Christian is, that's like one of the reasons I started this podcast because it's just fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And this is like, this image is so perfect because, I mean, God made it. So it's like, <laughs> of course it is. Um, but it's like a model of how we should approach like other cultures, you mm-hmm. know. I think that this, we could learn so much from this, you know, just as evangelizing other people, you know. Because yeah. even the bloodiest, the, one of the bloodiest empires, mm-hmm. Aztecs, you know, they, they had stuff that was valuable. They did. They had good ideas, they had good symbols that was, they were taken by Mary and made into something even better. And yeah. so that's, there's a lesson there, you know. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I, the Aztecs are really interesting. I would never want to live there, but mm-hmm. um, they, as bloody and horrible as their society was, they still had like the, like you said in your talk, like the Holy Spirit was still working in that culture. You know, yeah. as, as muted as it might have been, it was mm-hmm. he was still there. You know, yeah. yes, and I think I think that's something that we we need to pay attention to as as we live out our lives. Especially, you know, I, I'm a cradle Catholic, so mm-hmm. I've been I, I've lived this faith. No, not not always completely successfully my whole life mm-hmm. and I, I take it so much for granted but also there's so many things where you know as you know an inheritor of European traditions I have a tendency to think oh what I do is right mm-hmm. you know when it comes to to following the faith um, but that's really one-dimensional Mm-hmm. I mean, my family is very German Polish, right? Which is, you know, it's pretty great. I love it. But, <laughs> um, but if I only focus on on those German Polish Polish traditions, I'm going to be losing that appreciation for not just the suffering, because Germans are all about suffering, um, but the life. Yeah that comes from suffering and blood. And that is that is one of the, the things that the Aztecs kind of got right. right. It, it, sacrifice, if we look at it from a Christian sense, isn't just about death, right? Christ's death isn't right. just... It's at the end. He died. Right. It's important, but the resurrection is also important. Right. You know, with, with, with Christ's death, we're saved but it's the resurrection that gives us the church. Right. And, and that's how we life. continue to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, definitely. I think that's a good place. I know you, I think you need to go somewhere at 530. Yeah, I do. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's a good place to stop. I have uh, one more question for you and I, I think you've listened to the show a bit. Um, you might know what's coming, you might not. Um, <laughs> but this show is called I Might Believe in Fairies. Mm-hmm. And 
the running joke is I'm like a slow agnostic about the existence of fairies. I don't think I am anymore, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, for the purposes of this question, I am. Um, uh, do you, Lydia, believe in fairies? First, I'll tell you a funny story, and then I'll ask you a question. <laughs> Sounds good. I like funny stories. All right. okay. Well, I don't. I don't actually know if it's funny. Um, I find it extremely depressing. Um, <laughs> when I was a teenager, I worked at a butterfly house, okay. uh, which was a very interesting experience, and I now hate butterflies. Um, <laughs> but I once had a lady come in. Or part of working at a butterfly house is going into the the greenhouse where the butterflies are kept and mm-hmm. flying around, and there's flowers everywhere, and. Um, it actually smells bad because insects don't smell good. <laughs> and they eat fermented bananas and get drunk, and it's not pretty. Perfect. <laughs> yes. No problems so far. No problems so far. I'm an, I'm an entomologist, <laughs> so I, I study bugs, and I just finished my master's degree, actually, so um, this is hilarious. Mm, yeah. <laughs> to me, this sounds great. But... <laughs> well, yes. No, I mean, I, I kind of like bugs, too, but like I'm done with bugs. I'm done with butterflies. They aren't cute. I'm not going to decorate anything with butterflies. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I had a lady come in at one point, and she was... One of the main rules of butterfly houses is that don't touch the butterflies. Okay. Yes, because they have the scales on their wings. They're very delicate. Um, so she would go around, and she was touching all of the butterflies. I was like, you can't touch the butterflies. You can't touch the butterflies. <laughs> And then she looked up, looked up at me, you know, as she was stroking a butterfly, and she's like, "Did you know, butterflies are actually fairies?" Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I was just like, "Okay, I'm, I'm done." Touch them. That's fine. I'm done. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that that's my my funny and and sad story. Uh, <laughs> so my question for you would be. Do you mean actual fairies, mm-hmm. or do you mean the the spiritual fairies? Not no, that sounds really weird. <laughs> um, but the the the, the the spiritual idea of a fairy yeah. as that embodiment of wonder. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I I had a whole episode on fairies. We talked about <laughs> what they are and what they might be, and there are a bunch of different theories. Um, I don't think that they're like little people, you know. <laughs> um, so there's a theory that like they're um, they're the um, like the Picts, you know, in Ireland, mm. um, like that pre civil one of the civilizations yeah. that came before. Um, yes. Where they're or like they're like I think they were pygmies, you know, mm. like they're kind of like a pygmy sort of race. Um, so that's one theory, like they're but they're still around, you know, and they live in their hiding um, hiding in burrows. Burrows, and yeah. Kidnapping they, people. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's one theory and that's that's like maybe the most materialistic I would get with it, right? Mm. But I don't think they're like another race of like creature or anything. Yeah. I think sentiment sentient sold. Yeah, creatures. I think so yeah. Tolkien had a theory as to what they were. They were like maybe the I'm gonna get this wrong, but they <laughs> were the um the spirits of the um, like living things like trees mm-hmm. that can be disassociated from that tree to an extent you know they mm-hmm. used to be more disassociated from this and they can they can be they can have more of a will you mm-hmm. know but now I'm not sure what changed but like maybe the incarnation I don't know but um, <laughs> now they they are more like it's just because everything is a spirit right mm-hmm. so it's um, so that's maybe one theory you know another theory is like they're the, the the king like the spirits of dead 
pagan kings and queens, um, which... That would just make them ghosts, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Like, they're ghosts of kings that have a they have some agency, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's an open-ended question. That's why I ask it like that, because I'm like, <laughs> wh- whatever your definition of a fairy is in your head, you're mm-hmm. going to react to that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, no, I don't believe in, like, you know, <laughs> butterflies or fairies, you know? Because <laughs> I don't believe that, no. Um, but they, it seems like they're either demons or they're um, angels like they're mm. they're the angels that kind of run things like the virtues that yeah. kind of run the natural yeah. world you know or well, the wasn't, wasn't it the, Ir- the Irish folklore post-Christian folklore that they are the angels that caught in got caught in between heaven yeah. and hell right they were neutral the fall of the angels and yeah. so they were cast down to earth yeah. not to hell but to earth mm-hmm. um, and that's why they're kind of like they sometimes help you sometimes they'll trick you sometimes they're really mean you know so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's why it's a fun question to ask because I get all yeah. sorts of answers. You know, one some people are like, "Oh yeah, t- totally." I'm like, okay, well, what are they? Like, well, tell me what your theory is on what they are. Yeah. Um, and so I get all manner of different things, you know. And other people are like, "No way, <laughs> no, they don't. They're not real." I'm like, "Okay, I mean, if they're spiritual entities, then they, I mean, we we believe in spiritual entities, right?" Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know. It's yeah. really, I I don't know if I want them to be real, but I they might be, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> If they are real, they're they're probably not what most people think of as fairies and what you see in little kids' books. Oh, yeah. That's another, yeah. Yeah, another <laughs> thing we talked about, too, in that episode was um, mm. the Victorian influence on the idea of what a fairy is, like cute little, like, mm. you know, little people like Tinkerbell. But even Tinkerbell yeah. is murderous, you know, so um, so Tinkerbell still kind of retains Don't tell that, that to Disney. <laughs> well, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> she tries to kill Wendy, like, she, like a couple times, I think. Um, mm. She's jealous. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so what's your what's your verdict? So no, no on the the butterfly fairy. No on the butterfly fairies. Um, I'm I'm open to it being some kind of spiritual entity. Yeah. Um, potentially one of the orders of angels. Yeah. Um, that's like the best case. Yeah. Best, the best, best case best case scenario <laughs> yeah. for that. But on the other hand, I, I I don't necessarily see a purpose for them for an angel to be fairy. Right, right. Unless they're taking it on as a kind of manifestation on a mission from God. Right, right. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, it's like ghosts. It's like ghosts. Right. I, I get the concept of how they're possible, but my question is always like if, you know, a genuine ghost is a person, as a soul from purgatory, I don't get the point. Right. Yeah. Right. Come back and warn people yeah. or like ask for prayers. I like, think the mo- most of it is like yeah, that they're from, nice, but... from purgatory. They're asking for prayers mm-hmm. and then they can get out of purgatory. I'm not, I, I think that happens personally. Mm-hmm. My theory of ghosts is more, I think there are different different things going yes. on. Yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah, think those not... souls from purgatory, but then also demons. Right. And then yeah. there's like, I think, so mm-hmm. Jimmy Aiken's show, I don't know, do you know who Jimmy Aiken is? Yeah. 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 He's got this whole theory, um, too. It's like, yeah, there's souls from purgatory, there can be demons. But then there's, like, we leave, like, a, a psychic residue behind sometimes mm-hmm. when we die, mm-hmm. if we die horribly, you know? And that can, um, this is, like, way off topic, yeah. but that can um, leave an impression, like a psychic impression on mm-hmm. uh, the land. Yeah. That, like, it's, you, you're not, it's, they're not, like, living. It's not, like, a, it's something with agency or a will or anything like that. It's, yeah. Like, uh, it's like if you had a loop of a video camera, like, they mm-hmm. just played, the, like, 10 seconds over and over again. Yeah. Where it's, like, 
a lot of encounters with ghosts, people are like, oh yeah, this at this time of day, I see this person sitting in a rocking chair on my porch. Mm -hmm. They don't do anything. They just rock for like half an hour and then they disappear every day, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, that maybe is a thing too, where it's like we have this psychic ability, like low level psych, like because when pre-fall, we might have had some ability, you know, to commune with nature or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but now that's kind of like been like subdued. And maybe we have like a residual thing that flares up when we die horribly. Mm -hmm. I don't know, we were murdered or something. I have no idea, but it's a really interesting idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on my show. Well, it's been really fun and an honor. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Might Believe in Fairies. Please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow me on Twitter at Aaron Erber and like me on Facebook. If you're excited to see where the podcast is going and want to offer some support for the project, you can find me on Patreon. Music is by Alexander Nakarada, and podcast art was designed by my wonderful sister-in-law, Linnea Kisby. Until next time, talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>